Welcome to the Vintage Church Podcast. My name is Matt, and I'm the lead pastor at Vintage Church. We're so grateful that you would take time to lean into a teaching from one of our weekend worship gatherings. Each week, one of our pastors opens the Word of God with a relevant message in the hopes that you are inspired to live and love like Jesus. We invite you now to open your heart and mind and lean into the Word of God. So today we begin a new series, and it's one that I have started to start multiple times in the history of our church. I felt God calling us to step in to this letter. This letter written by Paul to the believers in Rome, and this week, as we finally made the commitment to do this, I sat down at my desk once again to kind of start clarifying, whittling down everything that God wanted me to say in this part one, and I thought to myself, Matt, why are you doing this? I remember now why I've started to do this and then kind of went other directions because it is a daunting task to step into this letter. But go ahead, grab your Bibles, and I hope you're bringing your Bibles to church. You can pull it up on your phone. It will be on the screen. But if you've got a physical Bible, go to Romans chapter 1, and I want to start reading in verse 1. Romans chapter 1, go with me. Verse 1, it says, Paul a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures, concerning his son, who was descended from David according to the flesh, and was declared to be the Son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness, by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations, including you who were called to belong to Jesus Christ. To all those who are in Rome, who are loved by God and called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And with that, Paul opens his letter to the believers in Rome. And this series, we're going to spend weeks just systematically walking through this letter. And I'm just going to go ahead and get it out of the way. There's going to be some of these, these parts of the series that are going to inspire you, that are going to jack you up, that are going to get you excited about all the promises you have in God. And there's some of these things that are going to cause you to maybe get really mad at me. As a matter of fact, a lot of preachers, when they preach the book of Romans, there's several parts of it that they just skip over because it's not comfortable. It may even be culturally offensive at times. It may challenge some of the doctrinal roots that you have based on whatever tradition that you grew up in. But I'm going to go ahead and tell you, look at me, I'm going to preach it all. Why? Because it's in the Bible. And I have to. And so just go ahead and prepare yourself. And remember, don't get mad at me, get mad at God. Because there are some things, and let me go ahead and just put a disclaimer out. Next weekend, especially, it's going to get intense. It will be a really good time for you to make sure you're here early to check your kids and to be kids. Otherwise, I am not responsible for the conversations that follow on your way home. Because Paul says some things in the portion that we're going to lean into next week about sexuality that we can't afford to ignore. Y'all with me? Say amen. But Paul is writing this book. He's writing this letter to the Roman church. And it is unique in so many ways because most of the letters that we see Paul write to churches are to ones that he planted. 
ones that you can step back into the book of Acts. Like in our men's group right now on Thursday nights, every second and fourth Thursday of the month in our men's group, we're reading through the book of Philippians. And Philippians was literally written to the church in Philippi. And we get to see the church in Philippi born in Acts chapter 16. This is a church that Paul knew very well. It was contained of people that he had personal relationships with. But the one in Rome is, is not that. And now there's a lot of theories as to how the gospel got to Rome. But more than likely, it's because of what happened on the day of Pentecost. So keep your place in Romans and, and flip over to Acts. Acts chapter 2, you remember the day of Pentecost? Where Jesus had told the first disciples, the first to follow Jesus, hey, you go and you wait. I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. And when I do, you're going to know it because it's going to happen. It's going to be bold. It's going to be wild. As crazy things are going to happen. And you're going to receive the power that you need to preach my gospel to all who are willing to hear. And in Acts chapter 2, when that happens and Peter steps out, empowered by the Holy Spirit, and preaches the first gospel message, it says in verse 5, Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. Drop down to verse 9. It says, Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene and visitors from Rome. And so our thought is that those visitors from Rome there on the day of Pentecost, they heard the message, they believed in Jesus, and at some point they made their journey back to Rome and they took the gospel with them. And it was their experience on that day, on the day of Pentecost, when they were talking in these crazy things and they could hear people, even though they spoke different languages, they could hear what Peter was saying and they could understand it. And they took that gospel the message of Jesus back to Rome, and they started telling other people. See, look at me. The gospel has always spread by people who are changed who have to tell other people about it. That's always the way that God has decided to grow his kingdom. It's, it's through your testimony and my testimony that when God changes your life, when you experience the grace and mercy of Jesus, if you experience it, you can't help but tell people about it. Come on, somebody. I'm not talking about, we're not beating people over the head with something. We're saying, look, I was broken and now I'm whole. I was lost and now I'm found. I was dead and now I'm alive. That I know the one true, powerful, living God and I can't help but... The, the meanest thing you could do is never tell somebody about the Jesus you know. And so that's how the church was born. And Paul hears about this church. He hears about all the amazing things that God is doing in it. Word keeps coming back to Paul so much. He's like, dude, I want to hang out with them. I want to, I want to, I want to get to Rome. I want to see all this stuff I'm hearing about. That, that their reputation in Rome was so powerful, even Paul was impressed. Even Paul was amazed. Even Paul longed to be a part of it and longed to see it. And the next few verses is him saying that. He says, man, I've tried so many times to get to you, but God kept calling me these other places. And now I'm in trouble once again for sharing my faith. And, and I don't know if I'll ever get to y'all. I don't know if I'll ever be actually able to, to see you in person. And so I'm going to put pen to paper, and I'm going to make sure just in case I never get to tell you this in person. Just in case I never be able to, to stand and worship with you and, and in congregation lift all of our hands together to the glory of God, I want to make sure that you hear from me the true, powerful gospel. 
And that's why this book is so full of so much. That's why it's so deep and so rich. It's because you can tell Paul's writing with that sense of urgency, that sense of intensity to like, I'm, I may never get there. And I've got I've to make sure that I've poured out my heart to you. I've got to make sure that you know. Because he says, if you go back into chapter 1, verse 14, he says, I am, I am under obligation both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. To foolish. And just let's start right there. When he says Greeks and barbarians, they, in this day there were kind of two groups of people. There were, they were, they were Jews and everybody else. He talks about Greeks. And barbarian is not like you think like Fred Flintstone, Okay. Like literally, there was when, when these people didn't understand like people's languages, all they heard was like bar bar bar, and so they called them barbarians based on the way they heard their language. Y'all with me? Say amen. That's a cool little nugget, isn't it? Verse fifteen, he says, "So I'm eager to preach the gospel to you." Also who are in Rome, see, for I am not ashamed of it. I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. He says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Like, I'm under obligation to tell whoever will listen, whoever is willing to hear. I'm, I, and when he says, I'm obligated, he doesn't mean out of a sense of duty. He means that, like, I'm obligated because God has changed my life so much. I can't help but tell people. I feel this absolute sense of, 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 of God pushing and pressing and pulling me to have that conversation to anybody who will listen. I don't care what they're like, whether they're, they, they're super educated or whether they've never sat in a classroom, whether they're, they're this color or that color, whether they're from this culture or that culture. Like I feel the Holy Spirit calling me to make sure that people of all places and all backgrounds and all situations hear the power of the gospel. And he says, I'm not ashamed of it. And when he says, I'm not ashamed of it, we don't really even, we don't know the weight with which he's saying. He's not just saying, I'm not ashamed of Jesus. He's saying, I'm not ashamed to let people know that there was a point in my life when I got it wrong. I'm not ashamed to say that I tried for years to get to God through religion and it didn't work. I'm not ashamed to say that I can't get to God by myself, in myself, through myself. I'm not ashamed to say that I am completely and totally dependent on God and his grace and his mercy. And you have to understand what it took for Paul to say that. Because if you knew Paul before he heard the gospel, before he surrendered it to it, he was convinced he was right. He was so convinced he was right and they were wrong, he was willing to kill people for it. Do you remember that the first time we see Paul is Acts chapter 8, verse 1. It's immediately following the stoning of Stephen, the first martyr for the Christian faith. That after Stephen steps up and refuses to back down and calls people out for their stubbornness, they get so furious with him, they kill him. And it says, Saul, who we know him, as then, is there given his approval. And then one day Paul's on his road to Damascus and Jesus shows up. Paul is not converted by the testimony of a human. He's converted by Jesus himself. When he says, hey bro, uh, what are you doing? And Paul recognizes that I'm in the presence of something so much bigger than any human I've ever been in the room with. And he says, like, well, what do you want with me? Who are you, Lord? And he says, I'm Jesus, 
the one that you've been persecuting. And in that moment, Paul's life is completely changed. And you know, the, the, Paul, the word Paul, that name actually means small. That he's stepping back. Like, I'm not ashamed to say that, that even though I tried, I thought that I could get to God through rituals of religion. I thought that I could get to God through the submission to tradition and I realized that, that no, matter how much I, no matter how much knowledge I acquired and no matter how many religious rules I felt like I could keep, that there was something actually missing and the very God that I thought I knew was in the scriptures of the Old Testament. He was seen in Genesis and all the way through and there came a point when my eyes were opened and now that my life has been changed, I'm not ashamed to tell people the true pathway to God. Y'all with me? Say amen. Come on. He says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. And then he says in verse 17, this, this powerful verse that has been the linchpin of our faith and the spark of so many movements to recalibrate Christianity throughout the centuries. Verse 17 says, for this gospel, it is the righteousness of God, which is revealed from faith for faith as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. And if any single verse could embody and encompass and express the gospel, y'all, it's that one. For, the, for in it, the gospel, it being the gospel, for in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith and for faith. As it is written, the righteous will, shall live by faith. That Paul says right out of the gate that in the gospel, righteousness is revealed. And I know that word righteousness is a super churchy word for some of y'all, but can I break it down as simple as I can? It means that the way to properly and only be made right with God is through the gospel believed in, received by faith alone. Y'all with me? Say amen. I need y'all to talk to me in this series so y'all understand because this stuff is super important. He says in it there, there's a righteousness that is revealed that the way that we are made right with God is revealed through the gospel. That Paul says, I thought religion was the way to be made right with God. I thought to be made right with God, there was so much that I had to do in order to earn it, in order to make it happen, in order to deserve it. I thought I needed to read and study and acquire knowledge and I needed to jump through all these hoops and do all these things. But what I have discovered is that the righteous shall live by faith. And you know what the cool part of that is? We think of that as a New Testament idea, but in that moment, Paul is quoting Habakkuk chapter two, an Old Testament prophet from centuries before, that Paul says, somehow I missed it, that it was always gonna be by faith. That I had read the whole Old Testament and all the law, and I thought it was about keeping all those rules. But even in the prophets, God was trying to show us that the only way to be made right with him would be by faith and through faith. That there was nothing we were ever going to be able to, to do to earn it. We were never going to be able to keep enough rules and religious ritual. The righteous shall live by faith. And you know what? This is a verse that we have to continue to come back to because even after Romans was written, there have been periods throughout the church. The Pharisees weren't the last ones. Look at me. The Pharisees weren't the last ones to think that to be made right with God was on us. 
And some of us know that very well because we grew up in traditions that saddled us with that responsibility. Well, you want to be made right with God? You need to go to church every Sunday. Oh, you want to be made right with God? You got to say these things and not these things. You want to be made right with God? You got to wear this kind of stuff to church when you do come. You want to be made right with God? All these religious rituals. And you know what? This has been happening for centuries. Anybody ever heard of Martin Luther? The guy who started the Protestant Reformation? Years and years and years and years and years ago. It was this verse that caused him to write down this list of things that he saw in the church that was broken because he had once again fallen into that trap that doing the right things, saying the right things, following rules and ritual was the way that we were made right with God. And he wrote this after reading this verse in Romans chapter 1, verse 17. He says, if ever a monk got to heaven by monkery, I would have gotten there. My situation was that although an impeccable monk, I stood before God as a sinner, troubled in conscience, and I had no confidence that my merit would assuage him. Night and day, I pondered until I saw the connection between the justice of God and the statement that the just shall live by his faith. Then I grasped that the justice of God is that righteousness by which through grace and sheer mercy, God justifies us through faith. As it is written, he who through faith is righteous shall live. Thereupon I felt myself to be reborn and to have gone through open doors into paradise. The whole of scripture took on new meaning. And whereas before the justice of God had filled me with hate, now it became to me inexpressibly sweet and greater love. The passage of Paul's, this passage of Paul's became a gate to heaven. He said, I finally realized after years of thinking it was on me that it wasn't. That it was in faith and through faith and believing in the gospel of Jesus. It was in faith seeing that what God had done was enough and could be the only thing that could put me in right standing with God when I finally realized that it was never gonna, no matter what I did, no matter how good I was, no matter how much I fasted and sacrificed and beat my body, that none of that could ever make me right with God, that it could only be through the gospel of Jesus Christ, the one and only one way to righteousness in God and with God. And Paul expresses this thought in nearly every single letter he wrote. We spent the last eight weeks looking at Ephesians 2, verse 10. But have you read 8 and 9? Because it says, for by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works so that no one may boast, for we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus. Like before he says that, go back, y'all put it back up, put verses eight and nine back up. For it is by grace you have been saved, through faith. And this is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of your work or my work, so that no one can boast that this is the pivotal part of the gospel that he says, I've been made right with God through believing in Jesus 
and seeing that Jesus is the Messiah, that in faith I believe that he is the one and only Son of God, fully man, fully God, sent from heaven as the atoning sacrifice so that you and I and everyone who sees him, Jesus, for who he is, can be made and have right standing with God. Y'all with me? That's what he's saying. That in the gospel, how to be made right. Righteousness is revealed. But it, look at me. If we needed to be made right, that means something had gone wrong. If we needed to be made right, that means something has gone wrong. There would be no need for a savior if there wasn't something that we needed saving from. And that's why Paul says next in verse 18, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all godliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. See, there's something that we don't like to talk about. Yes, in the gospel, righteousness is revealed, but in the gospel, wrath is also revealed. And wrath is one of those words that when we connect to God, people start getting weird. We get all squirrely. Because there's some of us, we grew up in a tradition that's all we ever heard about was the wrath of God. In a way that... that, that that scared us, not, not in a reverent and healthy way, but in a way that kind of created a, a disdain for God. And some of us, even the reason why we at times avoid reading the Old Testament is because we think that the Old Testament is just about this God of wrath and the New Testament is about a God of love. And I would submit to you that both are about both. In the Old Testament, he is a God of love and grace and mercy and wrath and righteousness and holiness. And in the New Testament, he is those same things. That in the gospel, there's good news. Literally, that's what the word gospel means. But why would there be a need for good news, look at me, if there weren't bad news? The reason why there was a need for the gospel, the reason why we need to be, needed to be made right is because we had gone wrong. We had gone wrong. And he unpacks it. Again, he says, the righteousness is there and it's revealed, but also the wrath is revealed. Verse 19, it says, for what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible qualities his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made so that they are without excuse. And Paul says the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven because what can be clearly seen about God is being ignored by man. He even says that there is evidence of the existence of God in nature, that it is clearly seen. This is called general revelation, that even in nature you can look and see 
This is not random. This is not accident. There is, the world is a work of art, and where there is art, there must be an artist. And he's saying that you can see it, that it's there. And then, do you see, he says that, that man suppresses the truth. This word is actually, you think about like trying to push down a spring. It's not just like pushing it down. It's like there's, there's something pushing back against you. That even though we're pushing, God's pushing too. Because he wants to make himself known. He wants to be seen. He longs for you to understand, recognize, acknowledge him for who he is. But he says man from the beginning has made the conscious decision not just to reject God, but to intentionally resist his effort to be known in this world. And he says, you can, you can, he can be seen. David was right in Psalm 19, verse 1, where he said, the heavens declare the glory of God. We live in a time right now where we've heard the word science a lot in the last couple of years. Science and faith are not in opposition to one another, church. You know why? Because God is the author of science. And I don't know if you've noticed this, but there has not been a single theory that man has tried to come up with for how and why things were created to try to disconnect it from God. There's not a single one that doesn't fall short, that doesn't eventually hit a wall. And I'm not, I'm not that smart. And I've read them all and I've studied them all. But it's like, well, it came from this. Well, where did that thing come from? Like every one of them eventually hits the wall. You know why? Because everything that you see exists because God breathed it into existence. He spoke it into existence. And, he, and, and Paul's trying to say, like, this, is, this has been evident from the beginning. And so this is not just ignoring out of ignorance. He says that man has with intention, willfully had a refusal to submit to and acknowledge the existence and authority of God. He says they have suppressed the truth even though he is visibly seen. And then verse 21, he says, for although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. He says, even though they knew it, even though in their hearts they realized that there's something out there, there is a God trying to call and draw people to himself. Even though they saw it, they made the conscious decision to make the exchange. They exchanged acknowledging God for who he is and what he has done for something less than. Did you know even the atheist has a God? Just one that they created instead of the one that created them. And it's not that mankind stopped or refused to worship. It's that they worship something worthless because of their refusal to understand. And Paul is gonna to begin to unpack all these things that are the result of this exchange. 
that the exchange that humanity made, the, the exchange of saying, I'm going to be God instead of him being God, and I'm going to make up the rules, and I'm going to decide, and I'm going to do what I think is best and what my emotions want, I'm going to make the exchange. Paul begins to unpack the deep ramifications and consequences of that exchange, and we're going to step into that next week. But right here, he's pointing, look at me. He's pointing to the sin that's at the root of all sin, idolatry. That's the sin that's at the root of all sin. To say, I don't need God, I can be my own God. I don't need him, I can make the decisions. I can decide what's morally right, what's morally wrong, what's best, what's good, I can determine that. He says they made the exchange the exchange of acknowledging him as God to worshiping something worthless. And it's that exchange that has initiated, look at me, it's initiated the wrath of God. And we see evidence of it even now. You don't think war is the byproduct of the wrath that sits on this planet because sin entered it? Come on. Because when we made that exchange, God is too holy to ignore it. And that's why in this, the the gospel reveals righteousness and wrath. Because God said, "I, I can't let that exchange go unpunished. I'm too holy, I'm too righteous. But the cool thing about our God Even though we made an exchange, he decided to make one too. We made an exchange that led to brokenness, but he made an exchange that leads to righteousness when he exchanged your death for his sons. Because he looked at you and he said, I don't mistake my grace for sinners as indifference to sin that that sin deserves wrath. And you think that wrath isn't present in the New Testament? If you think wrath isn't present in the New Testament, you never really stared at the cross. Because the cross is the most painful, obvious, blatant example of God's wrath in all the Bible. Poured out on his one and only son when he exchanged himself for you and for me. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, it says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, and behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ. God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. And we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Then look at verse 21. It says, for our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. 
that your exchange, truth for a lie, my exchange, truth for a lie, his exchange, innocent for guilty. The result of our exchange, wrath. The result of his exchange, righteousness. That in the gospel, it reveals both the wrath that God has for sin and humanity because we decided to ignore him and choose less than things to worship. And in the gospel, we see how he made it right when he made the exchange. When Jesus said, Father, I'll take their place. Let me feel it. I'll take it. In that moment, he's on the cross. He feels it in full measure when he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because that's the moment that he put the sin of all humanity on his son. And Jesus felt the wrath of God all throughout his bones and in his spirit. And he took it so that you wouldn't have to. That's the exchange he made. And that's what you have to believe in faith that he did take your place. By faith, you have to believe that Jesus is the Son of God, that he did live a perfect life, that he did go to that cross willingly in his own accord for you. And look at his sacrifice and trust it and put your faith in it and believe in it and receive from God the forgiveness and the mercy so that you can exchange death for life through what he did. Come on, somebody. you bow your heads, close your eyes with me. Today, we get to watch people go public with their faith, go public with the decision to make that exchange. And if you're here today and you're planning to get baptized, I'm invite you to go ahead now, get up out of your seat, head out those back doors to my left. There'll be a couple of our volunteers there ready to meet you and give you further instructions. Or maybe you're here today and you didn't plan to get baptized, but something is awakening in your spirit right now and you know that's the decision that you need to make. We have shirts, we have shorts, we have towels, we have everything you need. Just go ahead and rise to your feet now, head out through those doors and some of our volunteers will be there to meet you and walk you through what to do next. Go, go ahead and go, go ahead and go. Or maybe you're here today and you're still living on the other side of the exchange. You have not been made right with God because here's the truth. The only way, there is no other name by which man can be saved, given under heaven or earth. Only in and through faith in Jesus Christ can you be made right with God. And scripture says if you will believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that he is Lord, accept his sacrifice, acknowledge that sin in your life and ask him to forgive you. Make a commitment in your heart to follow him that you step into salvation, you step into that righteousness that Paul is describing. And if you wanna do that, just make that decision in your heart. I'm not gonna lead you in some regurgitated prayer. Do it in your heart, in your spirit, in your mind right now. And if you're making that decision, make sure you tell somebody about it. Tell us about it and let us walk alongside you. Would you stand up with me? I'm gonna pray, we're gonna worship, and then we're gonna watch these go public with their faith. Father, I pray right now that everybody in the sound of my voice understands the beauty and power and weight of what is the gospel. Unpacked by Paul in these first few words of this letter, that in it is revealed both the righteousness and the wrath of God. The bad news is we made a bad exchange. 
we decided that we could be our own God and do our own thing and live independent of you. But God, you didn't leave us broken in that exchange, but you also didn't ignore it, that you had to exert your wrath over that disobedience. But God, you chose to take it upon yourself. You chose to send your one and only son to receive the wrath that we deserved. And God, for that, we are humbled and we are grateful and we look to you and we trust you and we believe in the price that he paid to make us right with you. And it's what gets us there and it's faith that keeps us there, God. And I pray that as we worship you today, we do it with gratitude as we lift up the one and only name in which we find salvation, the beautiful, powerful name of Jesus Christ. And it's in his name that we pray. Thanks for listening to the Venice Church Podcast. We hope what you have just heard has inspired you to live and love like Jesus. If you'd like to know more about Venice Church or to get further connected, we invite you to visit us at our website at venicechurch.net. We'd also encourage you to download the Vintage app. There you can find more resources about how to get involved and grow in your faith. You can access the Venice Church app by going to app.venicechurch.net. Thank you so much for allowing us to be a part of your spiritual journey, and we hope to see you soon.